Hello friends, welcome back to the AirPod, your weekly check-in with the British royal family. If you are new here, I'm Omid Scobie, coming to you from London with all the latest goings on from Buckingham Palace, Kensington Palace, Clarence House and the Sussexes over in California. And there is a lot to get through this week. Uh, It is the week that I have money on my mind, the week that royal correspondents dread because there are so many numbers to crunch, but it is the week that the royal family or the royal households share their financial reports. The Sovereign Grant reports will have a full breakdown of how senior royals, including the Queen, have spent their money in the past year. And those numbers are up, so there are some very interesting things to get through there, including a couple of cameo appearances from Harry and Meghan, who somehow got dragged into a little controversy to do with that in the papers this week. We'll be getting to the heart of that, the truth, later on in the episode. But we will start off by checking in with the rest of the royal family. It is the week that we saw the Queen out in person meeting with the British Prime Minister for the first time in 15 months. I think anyone that follows the royal family knows that the head of state has a weekly audience with the prime minister here. Um, But that, of course, had been put sort of on ice since the beginning of COVID-19 pandemic here in the UK. Their last face-to-face audience was on March the 11th in 2020. So to see them back together is a sign of some normality, um, but also a rare close-up peek into the Queen's inner sanctum. Because whilst these meetings usually take place very privately, uh, the press are usually kept at bay, this time was a little different, as the palace actually released photos and footage from that meeting itself. Very nice to see you again. Lovely to see you again. It's been been 15 months. It's most extraordinary, isn't it? I, it is. I've just been talking to your Secretary of State for Health, poor man. He came to the Privy Council. Oh, yes. He's, he's full of. Uh, full of beans. Yes. He is. Things are getting better. Well, uh, they are. That was the Queen catching up with British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Their first face-to-face meeting, as I said, in 15 months and a chance perhaps for a little bit more gossip than usually takes place over those Zoom calls. Um, Much of the Queen's work took place behind palace walls this week, but that is also because she is readying for a rather busy week next week, starting From Monday 28th of June, the Queen will be in Scotland for four days for Royal Week, undertaking a range of engagements celebrating the Scottish community, innovation and history. The Queen's going to be staying at her residence over there, the Palace of Holyrood House. That's her official residence over there. But she won't be doing this trip alone. Prince William will be joining for the first couple of days of engagements and Princess Anne for the final two. So they'll be in Glasgow, Edinburgh and Stirling. And if you're watching Good Morning America this week, you already would have had a behind-the-scenes look at some of the magic that exists in Edinburgh. It is a beautiful place. Uh, The show went behind the scenes of Edinburgh Castle, somewhere where people rarely get to peek behind the palace walls there. Now, if you didn't know, Royal Week is something the Queen goes to Scotland for every year. Uh, You usually see to see thousands of people across the country, including at a special garden party and ceremony that takes place at the palace over there. And she'll travel across the different regions to meet people from different communities uh, who are having an incredible impact on life and society out there. Now, last year that did not take place. And this year, with large-scale events 
really not allowed just yet. Uh, that garden party won't be taking place at the palace, but she will try and meet as many people as possible. And, you know, it's pretty rare that we see the Queen out and about for such a long period of time. Uh, she has been ensconced at Windsor Castle for the majority of the past 15 months. And I think she'll appreciate, for sure, being around family as she carries out this work, because, of course, it is taking place uh, following the death of her husband, Prince Philip, who separately is being remembered this week at a special exhibition that opened at Windsor Castle. It was an exhibition celebrating his life and was going to tie in with his 100th birthday. It was something that he was involved in himself. He gave the blessing to the Royal Collection to host this exhibition or this celebration of his life. Now, of course, following his death, it has been sort of uh, repackaged as a sort of remembrance of his life. And Windsor Castle, already sort of bustling with tourists again, has seen this exhibition curated by the Royal Collection Trust with more than 120 different objects from his life on display in St George's Hall. It's one of the largest staterooms at Windsor Castle. Uh, you'll also remember where Harry and Meghan had their wedding reception and where Harry and Meghan showed off Archie for the first time. It is very much at the heart of sort of royal family engagements. And it was also somewhere that Prince Philip was quite involved in the redesign of following the Great Fire in 2002. He was involved in not only the design of it, but he was chair of the Restoration Committee. So that place within the castle, within Windsor Castle, has a very personal sort of connection to him. And this exhibition really is a tribute to many parts of his life, including his passion for inventing and engineering, but also some somewhat more interesting pieces, including some of the many gifts that Prince Philip was given on his many tours both solo and with the Queen, around the world and across the Commonwealth. It includes a First Nations feather headdress that was presented to him during a visit to Canada in 1973, and a personalised pair of cowboy boots from when he visited Texas. Um, interestingly, the sign alongside them says that they were unworn, um, which I guess makes sense. I'm not sure if I could imagine Prince Philip in a pair of cowboy boots. Now, I promised in the last episode that we would be receiving news or an update on the statue unveiling for Princess Diana uh, that will be taking place at Kensington Palace on July the 1st. Now, as I record this, Prince Harry is now safely at his Frogmore Cottage home in Windsor, having travelled over from the US. He is officially in quarantine for the next five days before hopefully taking a negative COVID test and being able to attend the statue unveiling. He will be, of course, there alongside Prince William in what Kensington Palace today called a small event to mark the unveiling of a statue that they commissioned of their mother in the sunken garden at Kensington Palace. So this will be perhaps a slightly more pared down event than what would have been originally planned several years ago when this idea was first floated to the brothers. But they'll be there alongside close family of Diana. That includes her sisters, Lady Jane Fellows and Lady Sarah McCorkadale, as well as uh, the members of the statue committee, the sculptor himself, Ian Rank Broadley, and the garden designer at uh, Kensington Palace, Pip Morrison, 
I think for anyone that has followed Diana's life story, they'll know that the sunken garden was Diana's favourite place at Kensington Palace. And often when she would go for a jog around Kensington Gardens, which is a rural park that surrounds the estate, she would come back through or enter the, the, the estate through the, the gardens, through the sunken garden, and often chat to some of the gardeners there as well. Um, and it's why it's now a place where we often see, if you go and visit there, I'm sure many of you have or would like to, it is a place often represented or represents many of Diana's favourite flowers in the seasonal uh, displays that they have there in the flower beds um, because it was her favourite place. So it's a really poignant position for the brothers to be having the statue unveiled. Now it is going to be a private event and by a private event I mean there will be little to no press presence at all. In fact despite reports saying that the Sussexes were bringing their own media team in and that the uh, William was going to include all of the sort of royal rota it is actually a much more stripped back so there'll be the presence of a video camera to of course capture the moment as well as a photographer and a reporter representing an agency that will share with the rest of the world's media. And I think that's the most neutral way of doing it, especially when you have two brothers who would most likely want to enjoy this moment as privately as they can. It'll no doubt be a very touching day, a day of celebration, a day of remembering her life. I understand that there will be meeting other people throughout the day that have played significant roles in her life, her philanthropic journey. And, you know, this of course comes very close to what would have been Princess Diana's 60th birthday. So a year in which her life is perhaps going to be celebrated just a little bit more than it usually is every year um, as we sort of approach her birthday. And although there had been reports that the Duchess of Cambridge would be attending the unveiling, this has been uh, confirmed as incorrect by Kensington Palace. It is an event that keeps the focus very much on the brothers and their mother. And I think ultimately, I hope that that is how it remains throughout the trip. There has, of course, been another week of different revelations from biographies and gossip stories and tabloids. But I think this is a time when both sides will really want to keep the focus on what matters the most. So although we won't be seeing Kate at the statue unveiling, we did see her this week surprising school children with, get this, her own fresh batch of honey. Uh, Kate was at the London Natural History Museum to hear about the museum's Urban Nature Project. It's an initiative that informs British kids and citizens about the importance of wildlife in cities. And during her visit, Kate joined a group of local school children in some nature activities, including, I think, spider making, arts and crafts, interactive storytelling. And she also brought her own special gifts for the kids from Anne Hall, their home in Norfolk, um, a pot of honey. She said this came specially from my beehive, um, <laughs> revealing one of the many hobbies that Kate shares with her children. And after giving each child a spoon each, she asked if it tasted the same as the honey from the shops. She said, every time you see a bee, say thank you so much because they make delicious honey. 
Um, Kate is not actually only the only Middleton to engage in beekeeping. Her brother, James Middleton, has been a beekeeper for over a decade, so I'm sure she is not short of places to turn for advice. In fact, last year he wrote an essay about the hobby, sharing that he now has half a million bees in eight hives at his manor in Berkshire. <laughs> So from making honey to making money, we'll be checking in on the annual Royal Financial Report after the break. Welcome back. So this week, the royal family opened its accounting books to show just how the Queen and other royals spent their money in the past year. But before we get into those figures, just how much does the monarch receive and where does her income come from? Now over here the Queen is given a single payment each year by the British government and that's called the Sovereign Grant. This year that number came in at a whopping £85.9 million, that is $119.9 million at the current going rate um, or the equivalent of £1.29 or $1.80 per person in the UK because, and I, I, the reason I include this statistic, is the sovereign grant is made up of taxpayer contributions as well as surplus revenue from the Crown Estate. The Crown Estate being the portfolio of land owned by the monarch. And this is something that dates back to, I think, the 17. Hundreds. Um, it's a sort of property business owned by the Queen. It's run independently, but it includes areas in London, such as Regent Street, the very famous uh, line of shops in central London, and the Ascot Racecourse, which we know the Queen is a huge fan of. So it kind of makes the Queen one of the sort of biggest property magnates in the country. Uh, so 15 to 25% of the profit from the Crown Estate, goes back into the sovereign grant and is paid to the Queen. And that money will then fund the royal activities, engagements and duties for Her Majesty, as well as uh, paying for the upkeep of the occupied royal palaces. So that's Buckingham Palace, St James's Palace, Kensington Palace, uh, Windsor Castle, and the Royal Mews and Royal Paddocks at Hampton Court which, as its name would suggest, is where many of the Queen's cavalry is kept. Uh, last year, the number shows that 51.5 million, that is over $80 million, was spent on official duties, and that includes staff wages and travel, as well as the property maintenance. And the rest of that money went on to the ongoing 10-year resurfacing, as the palace would call it, of Buckingham Palace. And that is basically bringing Buckingham Palace up to date, because although it may look grand and magnificent on the outside, uh, behind the palace walls, it was getting a little run down. And so it's needed its electric stripped out uh, to be turned into a more sustainable space as well. I think a lot of energy was being wasted due to the old, ancient technology that was there. But what is very interesting about the Sovereign Grant is not some of these sort of bigger items such as the resurfacing of Buckingham Palace, which many will have an opinion on and many won't, um, but it is some of the smaller spendings that crop up in these numbers that we see. 
And this year, it was particularly interesting because, of course, it is following the a year that most of us spent pretty much indoors. So to see the number rise by almost $5 million than the previous year has many looking at those closer details. So we sort of break it down and we've got uh, £500,000, or I'll switch to dollars, $696,000 on cleaning and laundry at Buckingham Palace, $696,000 on replacing a roof on the north wing of Buckingham Palace. And here's a curious item, 47 Royal Helicopter trips totaling $934,510. And I put the exact number in there because what's interesting about the helicopter trips and just the travel in general that is shared in the Royal Reports is that any trip that costs over £15,000 is itemised. So the train trip across the UK that the Cambridges took to thank frontline workers ended up clocking in at something like $80,000. Um, but any item that is under £15,000 is not itemised. So we have this sort of mysterious collection of 47 helicopter trips that we'll never know who or how that was used. And if you actually break down the number I think each helicopter trip works out at about £14,700 per trip. So whoever has been invoicing has, by luck, been invoicing just under the threshold of an item that has to be declared or itemised on the list. So as you can see, it is so easy to get obsessed with the details in this trip, especially when much of the money that goes to the royal family comes from the British taxpayer, hence the $1.80 that I read out at the beginning of this. But of course, we also saw during the reports that were shared with all of the press and also put publicly on the royal family website, they are incredibly or try to be transparent about all of this, we saw uh, new figures come from Clarence House, which is Prince Charles's household, on how they have spent their money in the last year. And within the reports that were published on Thursday, covering the financial year beginning April 2020, it reveals that Prince Charles provided both Harry and Prince William's families £4.5 million pounds, just shy of $8 million. Now, the report doesn't break down how much money went to each prince, but a spokesperson for Charles went on the record to clarify that the Prince of Wales had allotted a substantial sum to support Harry and Meghan as they transitioned out of their royal roles. What, I hear you ask? Well, yes, many of you will remember that during Harry and Meghan's sit-down interview with Oprah, Harry revealed that his father had cut him off as they began to set up their new life in California. So, of course, we see the tabloids over here <laughs> declare that Harry must have been lying. If this financial report says that Charles had given money over, but Harry says that he was cut off in the first quarter of last year, then there is two timelines that don't add up. Now, before you get too excited... So after checking in with the people who matter, it turns out that both are actually sharing exactly the same timelines. 
Harry referring to the first quarter in his interview with Oprah was actually referring to the first financial quarter of last year, which, of course, this financial report shared by Charles's household covers. So I'd like to think that we put to bed a little bit of tabloid drama there. Uh, The Sussexes did also feature in the Buckingham Palace financial reports, uh, but for good reasons. The Queen, who had had to approve savings of close to $15 million to cover the impact of the COVID pandemic, was saved by a small amount after the Duke and Duchess of Sussex agreed to return the $3.3 million that had been spent on refurbishing their official UK residence here. And so the Queen's treasurer, that's Sir Michael Stevens, or the guy with the very fancy title of Keeper of the Privy Purse, uh, said that that substantial sum had partially offset some of the financial pain caused by the fall in revenues following the closure of rural residences to tourists, because as many of you know, Buckingham Palace, when the Queen is not there during the summer season, is open to the public. And of course, money is made across other royal residents as well. So although this item was somewhat buried in the coverage, it's actually become an important figure to note in the financial report. Uh, The report also revealed that the Sussexes, as well as returning £2.4 million, that's $3.4 million, uh, also paid their rent at the property until March 2022. Because although they did pay for the refurbishment, they don't technically own the property. I'm not sure how great that is as an investment. Generally, with rental properties, you don't want to spend too much because someone else is going to benefit from it. But I, I digress. Also, interestingly, in this report, and not a particularly big item that was discussed in the press this week over here, was the fact that, for the first time, Buckingham Palace openly disclosed the proportion of ethnic minority employees working at the palace, and the number came in at 8.5%. Alongside that, they said that the target for the end of next year was to reach 10%. Uh, To give it some context, our last census, which was granted almost 10 or over 10 years ago now, saw 14% of the population in England and Wales registered as non-white. So their target still falls almost a third below what the national average is. And if you actually look in in London, this number is actually just over 35%. But it is a start. Because if you'll remember three months ago, Buckingham Palace uh, confirmed that they were considering the appointment of a diversity chief to come in and review the policies across all royal households. And despite coming in at a much lower than average figure, alongside the financial reports, in perhaps the smallest voice possible, uh, sources at the palace confirmed that plans to bring in or plans to consider bringing in a diversity chief have been shelved, although they haven't ruled out the idea entirely. Now, Clarence House said that their number came in at a slightly lower 8%, uh, with officials there admitting that they have more work to do on the issue of diversity, but noting that it may take them a bit longer than the 10% target for next year that Buckingham Palace has set, because Clarence House is a much smaller operation. Uh, to to give some context there, Buckingham Palace has, I think, just over 499 
full-time staff. Uh, Clarence House is a fraction of that. And even smaller than that is the number of staff working at Kensington Palace. That's the home of William and Kate. They, however, have declined to share a number. And that's after I also reached out to them uh, on a number of occasions to ask for it. Although sources there believe that the number is far lower than the others. Now, a source at Buckingham Palace told me that Her Majesty and the Royal Family have promoted and embraced the diversity of our nation and the Commonwealth, but they recognise that their own workforce still needs to reflect the communities that they serve. They go on to say that we recognise we're not where we would like to be and that despite all our efforts to target recruitment, train managers and build an inclusive workplace, the results have not been what we would like. Now, this, of course, follows Harry and Meghan sharing their own experiences with racism in the royal family. And more recently, a somewhat shocking or damning report in Britain's Guardian newspaper that claimed that Buckingham Palace had banned ethnic minorities from office roles up until at least the 1960s. Uh, what is interesting about these numbers shared by both Buckingham Palace and Clarence House is that they would not break down the numbers of domestic staff, so domestic servants or household staff, and clerical staff, those working in the private offices. Because I think that is a number, if transparency is what this is all about, and as Palace Source did go on to say, that the reason they're sharing this is to be transparent. So if the numbers don't rise next year when the financial report is shared, they can be held accountable, which is a very admirable approach. I think transparency is important. But we are missing just one element of that transparency. And it'd be great to see that, if not somewhere soon, uh, at least in the next financial report. Phew. I feel like there is so much more we could go into, but I don't want to burn your ears off with more financial talk. So I think we'll wrap it up there. In other news this week, we heard from the Duchess of Sussex speaking exclusively to NPR's weekend edition about The Bench. That is the children's picture book that she put together and released just a couple of weeks ago that is already spending its second week on the New York Times bestseller list for children's picture books, uh, coming in at a very strong number one just a couple of weeks ago. Megan shared a little bit more about how the book came about and some of the Easter eggs that have been hidden inside it. Kids, they just pick up on everything. And that was one of the pieces that I think was important for me, even on the homecoming scene with the, with the military dad, it's like, okay, what is he doing? Maybe he's sitting on a bench. Maybe he's reading a book. Maybe he's dropped his popsicle because he's so excited. Because I knew Archie. I knew that our son would notice all of those elements. And he loves it. Christian, I haven't told you that. Archie loves the book. <laughs> um, which is great because he, he has a voracious appetite for books. And constantly when we read him a book, he goes again, again, again. But now the fact that he loves the bench and... We can say, mommy wrote this for you, feels amazing. Yeah. And it was such a great idea that Christian had as well. Once we had decided on what the benches looked like for each specific vignette, to have them all at the beginning and the end of the book, so that as a child, you could go, let me find each bench. And it's its own little project and game. Just all of those little Easter eggs or nuggets that are tucked within the book. I mean, 
there's a lot. If people start digging, I think you can find sweet little moments that we've we've tucked in there from my favorite flower, even my husband's mom's favorite flower, forget me nots. We wanted to make sure those were included in there. There's a lot of a lot of special detail and love that went into this book. And that just about wraps us up for this week. We had news in this morning about Prince William announcing that his Earthshot Prize Awards are going to be held in London in October. That will be a full-on award ceremony for this, of course, is his Nobel-style environmental prize, awarding those working on the best and most innovative solutions to tackle climate change. Um, it's going to take place at Alexandra Palace. And he announced it in elaborate style. He flew a drone off the venue of the award ceremony, Alexandra Palace in London. It's an iconic landmark. And the video went up on all of the Kensington Palace social media channels. Next week, we'll be coming to you with the full report from Harry and William's statue unveiling for Princess Diana that's taking place at Kensington Palace. ABC News will be there on the day, and I'll be with you just a couple of days later on the Friday with a breakdown of everything that went on and, of course, the poignant messages and memories that were shared at that special event. Until then, take care of yourselves and each other. Feel free to reach out to me on social media if you have any comments about the show or even a question for a future episode. Just use the hashtag TheAirPod. You can find me at Scoby on Twitter. And that is me done. I will see you next Friday following the big event. Take care. Take care.